Many of us have prayed sometimes and wondered why God would even be listening. Today, your understanding about God and prayer will be changed. As Pastor Daniel teaches about the practices in the tabernacle, we'll hear how prayers are like incense, precious and fragrant to God. He loves when we speak to Him, treasuring our worship and love for Him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Final Details. Open up in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 30, as we continue our study here in the book of Exodus, in this series that we call Tabernacle. And I've entitled tonight's message over these two chapters, chapters 30 and 31, Lord willing, we'll make it through both of them. I've entitled it Final Details, because if you recall, this ending series in the book of Exodus really breaks down into three sections. First, we've seen from chapter 25 and through today, through chapter 31, the Lord is giving Moses very specific details. This is how I want the tabernacle to look, that portable worship tent. These are all the the furniture that I want in there. And this is how I want it to look. This is how I want you to make it. We get all the details in these six chapters. And then we have a little bit of an interlude, chapters 32 through 34, where the children of Israel, even though all these amazing things happen, they revert back to the idolatry that they were used to. Even though God had done tremendous things in their life, next week we're going to see them dancing and worshiping a golden calf. And there's going to be a lot for us to learn about that next week because whether we like to admit it or not, we're all kind of like that. God does tremendous things in our lives and then we kind of journey back to the things that weren't real, but we kind of got used to them, so we go back there. And so we have this little interlude for a couple chapters and then from chapter 35 to the end of the book of Exodus, we're literally going to see that they actually built everything exactly the way God asked them to. So all the way through, God keeps saying, I want you to do this, the exact specifications. And that last section will show that they did indeed build everything exactly the way God had ordained for it to be built. So these last two chapters, we get two more pieces of furniture. We get a census tax. We get an, uh, how to make the anointing oil and the incense. And then finally, there's the people who are going to make the tabernacle. And then, of course, there's the, um, the reminder to keep the Sabbath laws, which we've seen a number of times since we began the book of Exodus and since we began the Bible and the book of Genesis. So let's pick up right now, verse 1, 
of chapter 30 in the book of Exodus, it says this, you shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, a cubit its width. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides that they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. Verse 10, and Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once a year, he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Now, this is the altar of incense. If you recall, this is one of three pieces of furniture that is inside what we call the holy place of the tent. Now, for those of you who've been tracking with us the last number of weeks, you remember there's the outer courts, and in the outer courts, there is the brazen altar, and then there is the bronze laver, which we're going to get to in a second. So I'll explain that there. Then there's the tent itself. Within the tent, the larger area is the holy place. Only the priest could go in there. And it had three pieces of furniture. It had the golden lampstand on one side. It had the table of showbread on the other side. And now we have the altar of incense, which sits right in the middle and then there's the veil, and then behind the veil is what we call, or what's called the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go once a year, and only with a sacrifice for sin. And in there, there was the Ark of the Covenant with its mercy seat cover. That was where the two cherubim dwelt, okay? So this altar of incense, when you walk into the holy place, it would be the right dead center, right before that veil. Now notice... It tells us that, once again, it's made of acacia wood, which is a very common wood in that day. It's overlaid with pure gold. The whole thing, the acacia wood is all gold. And we've been talking about that, that within the Holy of Holies and in the holy place, everything is gold. As you get farther away from the Holy of Holies, we start seeing silver and then ultimately bronze. And the application is, is everything is more precious where God's presence is. The farther out you go, the less pre precious things become. And I think that's a very strong application for our lives. Because what happens is, is that for those of you who are pressing in to the things of God, I believe God wants to bestow his presence on all of us equally. But not all of us choose to walk that closely with the Lord. Not all of us choose to walk that closely with the Lord. And so, because we don't walk closely, we don't realize how 
precious life is. We take a lot for granted. We don't realize that everything actually belongs because we're farther away. But when you're real close to the Lord, you realize that nothing's by chance. Everything is an opportunity. Everything is an opportunity. And so here we have this altar of incense. It's made of acacia wood. It's overlaid with pure gold. We start getting its dimensions of court. A cubit shall be its length. A cubit its width. It shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. So don't forget, a cubit is the distance between the tip of your middle finger to the crook of your elbow. So about a foot and a half. So this is 18 inches square, three feet high. Okay, that's how big this is. Now, notice, again, you have the rings and then you have the poles. Why? Anyone remember why? Because it's meant to be portable. So once again, all of these things are designed so that you just put the, po- the gold poles through and you can transport it from place to place wherever it is meant to go. Now, if you recall, each one of these pieces of furniture has a certain symbol that we grab hold of. Remember the, the candles, the, the golden candlestick? We talked about that. That's the light of the world, right? Jesus is the light of the world. It's the only thing, piece of furniture, only light source in the Holy of Holies or in the holy place. Only that light because Jesus is the light of the world. Of course, the table of showbread. Remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Again, there's that bread right before the Lord. And now we have the altar of incense. And all through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, incense is a picture of prayer. Incense is a picture of prayer. In Psalm 141, verse 2, it says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Listen to Luke chapter 1, verse 10. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So when Zecharias received the vision that him and Elizabeth were going to have a son named, who they ended up naming John, it was at that time of the burning of the incense when the people assembled to pray. Of course, Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And something very similar is said also in Revelation chapter 8, verse 3. Now think about that. And that's pretty powerful if you ponder the reality that the prayers of the saints are kept in golden bowls before the altar of God. That changes the way you think about prayer, doesn't it? When you realize that every time a child of God lifts up their voice to the Lord and says, oh God, will you do X, Y, Z for me? That God keeps it as a special memento before him. I was studying this today and it's interesting because today is the 16th anniversary of my mother's passing. And I remember after my mother passed away when we were going through all of her things, we found these huge manila envelopes in her closet and in each one there was a name one was my name one was my sister's name my other sister's name and my dad's name and there's these big envelopes and there was all these things stuffed in it so we each took our envelope and we started to unpack it and my mother as moms are apt to do kept every single card and every single horrible drawing that we ever made her for all of our lives 
And she kept them in these manila envelopes. And sure enough, we sat there and we cried and we looked at all these things that, that my mother had kept that we had made her through, over all these years. And it was amazing because when I started reading the Bible and I realized that God keeps our prayers before him in golden bowls, it reminded me of that. That even though sometimes you pray and I pray and you feel like your prayer is hitting the ceiling, God cherishes that. Like a parent cherishes their child's little gifts that they made for them. So I want to encourage you, for those of you who feel that prayer doesn't get the things that you want, prayer is lavishing your love upon a father who loves to hear from you. And it's easy to neglect prayer, isn't it? It's easier to read through a book of the Bible than it is to spend time talking to our Heavenly Father. And so I want to exhort you not to forget how precious the prayers of the saints are to the Almighty God. God loves it when we speak to Him. And so this altar of incense, when you think about Jesus, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for the saints. One of Jesus's, what Jesus is doing right now is sitting at God's right hand, the Father, and talking to Him and telling Him, like, listen, yeah, I know... Daniel's all messed up, but he's, I, I saved him. He's my son. I'm working on him right now. And not only me, you as well. He always is interceding for you, standing in the gap for you with the father, just being like, oh yeah, I know. I know they're all messed up, but we, we love them, don't we? Oh yeah, we do. And so the idea of this incense being before that veil it just reminds us that Jesus's ministry of intercession, of mediation, is there for us all the time. Now, notice in verse 7, it says, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense. Every morning when he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So what this means is that the, there's a morning incense burning and there's an evening incense burning linked up to in the mornings when he's caring for the wicks of the golden lampstand and in the evening when he's lighting them again. So the burning and the, and the setting of the lampstand and the incense go together at the same time. At the same time. Now notice in verse 9, this altar of incense is set apart for a very specific use. You shall not offer strange incense on it. So there's a very specific type of incense God wants. He does not want the special offering to him to have any mixture. It's not for any old incense. God has a very specific way he wants it. Not only that, it's only for incense. No burnt offerings. No grain offerings, no drink offerings. This is only for a specific purpose. And then finally in verse 10, it says, And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of a sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Now what that means is this. Only... God's chosen incense should be burned upon it. And once a year, Aaron has the, a charge to cleanse it once again, to set it apart once again. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's the beauty of when people rededicate their lives to the Lord. You're coming back and saying, you know what? Maybe I got a little far away, but I'm coming back again and saying, you know what, Lord, I'm in. Some people say to me like, well, Pastor Daniel, do you like it when people rededicate their life? So Lord, I'm like, I think they should do it. We should do it every day. 
Every day we show up again, we're like, Lord, I'm following you today. And so once a year, Aaron would come with the blood of a sin offering and he would rededicate this altar of incense to the work that God has called it to do. In a lot of ways, it's almost like Aaron's re-upping their contract for another year, saying, yeah, this is going to be the altar of incense again. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that's why anniversaries and birthdays and born-again birthdays and all these things have their place in the commemoration of our lives as Christians. To be able to say, you know what, Lord? I've been married to this gal for X number of years, and I'm in for another year. Amen. We're going to keep going. We're going to serve the Lord. Where one drives back a thousand, two drives back ten thousand. So we're making a commitment again to be used of the Lord. Lord, this is my born-again birthday. You changed my life on this day, however long ago. And Lord, we're doing it again. I'm happy birthday. Lord, thank you for this. We're going to keep going. And every year, Aaron would go back with the blood of a sin offering and consecrate it again. This is our altar of incense. Only the special sweet offering to the Lord gets offered upon this. It's a rededication of the altar of incense to the things of God. Now, from verses 11 to verse 16, we have the ransom money or what you could call a census or a poll tax. You can call them by all these different things, but look at what it says. Verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give, a half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord, everyone included among those who are numbered, from 20 years old and above, shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall give, shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than a half shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Now, notice that word atonement keeps popping up again. Think about the word at one meant. You ever wonder, like, what is atonement? It means at one minute. It means to bring together into unity. And so there was all these different ways that pointed to atonement, whether it be a sacrifice, whether it be this, that, or the other thing. Now we have that they, they, when they number the people, everyone 20 years and older, there needs to be this poll tax, the census tax, this half shekel for everybody. And the idea was this was your payment for life. So it's another way that points to the reality that God wants us to be unified with him and that there is a cost to that unity. And I believe that that's a very important thing for us because we do live in a culture in a day and age where the vast majority of people believe that by nature of being human, we all deserve an eternal glorious afterlife no matter what we've lived. We, we think that unity with God comes by nature of being human. I call this spiritual entitlement. 
In a lot of ways, we live in an entitlement-minded culture. Now, I realize when I say entitlements, a lot of you process that through the political view of entitlements. But entitlement means the rules don't apply to me. I get in just because I want to be in. When I was growing up, if you took a test and you got six out of ten wrong, they gave you an F. Today, they give you a, you need to do a little better, buddy. Because we're concerned about kids feeling bad about themselves, we don't actually tell them if they're doing well or not. Because if you tell them that they're not doing great, then somehow you're demeaning their humanity. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't think we should be overly hard on children, but at the same time, you can't tell children that they can do whatever they want in life because guess what? That's just not true. Kids can't do anything they want in life. I'd love to be a center in the NBA. I'd love that. But there's never once been a five foot seven inch center in the NBA. So in the name of self-esteem, you're actually setting me up for failure by telling me I can do whatever I want because it's not true. I can't be a center in the NBA. In the same way, I can't be a nose tackle in the NFL. There's not 180 pound nose tackles in the NFL. And at the same time, I can never give birth to a child. No matter how cool I think that might be. I was thinking that today. We heard the heartbeat of my, my little child in, my, in, in Lynn's womb. And I thought to myself, how cool that's living in Lynn's belly right now. And then I thought to myself, it'd be cool if it was living in my belly right now. <laughs> and then I felt totally demeaned as a person because I'm a male. It's like, I'm like, Lord, that's so unfair. See... Everybody doesn't have their name on the guest list for heaven just because they're alive. That's what the census tax reminds us. That in order to keep unity with God, someone needs to pay. And it's a price that none of us can pay that Jesus paid in our place. That's the Christian gospel. Every other religion tells you if you do X, Y, and Z, God will accept you. And some, it's just like, yeah, if you go visit this place, and if you don't eat any meat, and, and if you don't eat any alcohol, and you pray these five times a day, then you get in. Or someone else will say, look, you got to sit in this crooked leg position, and you need to meditate on nothing, and at some point, you'll get in. Or, 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 or. It's amazing how many self-salvation plans exist today. I was talking to someone just recently, like, you just need to be a, a good person, you need to vote Democrat. I was like, really? You know? Okay, you know? Hey, let's be honest. Some of you think you need to be a good person and vote Republican. So either on either side of it, everyone's got a self-salvation plan. But religion tells you you need to do these things and you get into heaven. Christianity tells you, the gospel tells you, that you can't do the things to get into heaven. Jesus did it for you. And all you can do is say thank you. And because you say thank you to the free gift of salvation, that life of gratitude in response to such an awesome gift is the way Christians do good works. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel shared a personal story about how God receives our prayers like parents who treasure the gifts from their children. We also heard about spiritual entitlement, which is a dangerous notion of thinking you are included in God's kingdom just because you want to be. 
giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when we'll hear about how the process the priests go through in order to set them apart. They're anointed by oils, but through Jesus, we are anointed by the Holy Spirit. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through his series entitled Tabernacle. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio. Jesus Is Real Radio.